This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode on Press One for Nick. I'm your host, Nick Lemsdahl, Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. On this podcast, I sit down with customer service and customer experience leaders to talk about their stories, best practices, and lessons they've learned along the way. Let's get started. I'm excited today to have Jonathan Mackay. Jonathan is the partner at PATH, and their goal is to, is to prove the human experience drives business growth. Welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I did some, uh, we, we've been uh, friends for a while, and, and uh, I've wanted to uh, do a little recon before we got started to see if there was anything that I didn't know. Uh, and I saw on LinkedIn that you were actually, I knew you played baseball at John Carroll, but I did not know that you played uh, rugby. Yeah, it was, it's a little known fact. It was a, a club sport that I, I got into because, you know, the beauty of rugby is the game is just as important as after the game, which, you know, there's a lot of com- camaraderie in the sport and it's, it's just a whole lot of fun. And, and so we had a good time. But yeah, I played a lot of different sports. Baseball was my go-to, rugby, a little water polo, just a whole bunch of different things. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that's really neat. Um, you know, I think the, the, that statement that you just said uh, really could align with customer experience because you, you kind of build a, a baseline and then it doesn't stop there. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of might have to be a, a podcast in, in 2021 that we, we jump back on. But um, good. you know, though, can you explain um, how you went from an economics undergrad to being a partner at PATH? Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, when I, when I think about my connection to what I do, it really starts with kind of how I grew up. I grew up in a family with two parents who were entrepreneurs who started their own businesses at a young age and have had those businesses going on 40 plus years. Um, and I was able to see them create a life for themselves through that, their ability to have flexibility in their schedule, be around their kids, you know, have thriving, successful businesses that allowed them to live a, a certain quality of life was just very appealing to me, you know, as I started to kind of grow up and decide, hey, what, what do you want to do? Um, and so as I kind of got to the choice of, you know, economics in college, you know, I felt business was what I wanted to go into. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of different fields in business, finance, operations, and so forth. Mm -hmm. When I sat down to look, you know, economics really intrigued me because I loved, I found fascinating the idea of understanding why people do what they do. Um, It was something, you know, I always kind of tried to understand growing up. I think we all do, you know, why did that happen? How's this, or how can, what can I do to, to achieve better outcomes? you know, in this world of business and economics really brought a a language to that. Um, But, you know, interestingly, as I got out of college, you know, I thought finance was more of a route I was going to go. And, you know, there was an experience I had that really was a pivotal moment, I think, in determining how I ended up where I am now. Um, Got out in 08, 09, financial crisis. Finance was not a great industry to be getting into at the time. So there's a lot of just commission-based jobs available. And I found one selling securities. 
And, you know, it was cold calling. It was, you know, pounding the pavement and trying to get, trying to get meetings. And I remember I called, made a call and it was, it was an older lady. I was cold calling a list and it was an older lady and she was so sweet and nice. I think she just pitied me and was like, sure, I'll meet with you. <laughs> um, you know, I got off the phone and I just thought about it. I'm like, you know, I'm trying to sell this woman on something that I don't know much about. I don't even know if it's right for her. And I'm trying to do it. It just didn't feel good. Right. There was just a feeling of, you know, I have, I have no issue with the industry. I think it's a well worthwhile thing and all that. It just didn't feel like the right thing for me. And so I started to, to reevaluate. I was in Cleveland at the time at John Carroll and I decided, you know, I'm going to go back to Columbus, try to network and so forth. Uh, as I said, my mother had a business. So she said, Hey, I'll give you a commission-based job to come back and help sell while you network and do your thing. Um, well, and, and her business is the business that I'm now a part, partner at today because um, as I started to learn more about the business, at first I was like more data and reports. This feels like college all over again. I don't want anything <laughs> to do with that. Um, but as I started to realize what it is that this data and insights and feedback really started to facilitate, it really, it profoundly changed my connection to what we do because I realized pretty early on, it took me a while to realize it probably took me a couple of years to figure it out. But I realized early on that one, I have the opportunity to interact with leaders of businesses. We, we perform a strategic function, you know, to drive that decision-making and to form that. Um, and I really felt that that was a, a powerful place to be, you know, to help inform the directions of, you know, large organizations and all the customers and all the employees that just felt very meaningful. And what we were bringing to bear on that was the perceptions of those same employees and customers. You know, back then it was, it was called voice of the customer, voice of the employee, the idea being bringing a voice into the decision makings of companies. It's, you know, what Jeff Bezos has built his business on, right? That very idea of being customer centric and so forth. And that just felt very meaningful to me because I believe organizations can be powerful change agents for better or for worse. They very quickly can make decisions that impact communities and families, and they can lead where government can't. Um, and so I saw this opportunity that if I can get leaders and managers of organizations to use this information to more closely align to the needs of their people, well, then that's win-win. I can have a successful business delivering value to my clients, which in turn improves the quality of life of their customers and employees. That just felt like the sweet spot for me. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, now it's been almost 10 years and, you know, I've had the pleasure of working with, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many companies off the top of my head, uh, in, in a variety of different ways. And to see the impact that this has, has just made me feel more and more connected to this purpose of, of proving that the human experience drives, drives growth. Because I think we all fundamentally know that, right? I think we all know at a basic human level that it's, it's about that connection between us. But businesses, I think, can get caught up in all these metrics and all these other things that can pull us you know, away from that purpose motive. So um, that's a little bit of that evolution of how I kind of got to where, and then lastly, it's the data that we can bring to bear on that, that, that excites me. I'm a data person. I love, I love data. That's what we do. Helping measure the things that are tough to measure is a challenge. I love waking up every morning to, to go out there and do. Um, so that's a yeah, little bit about it. 
That that's great. The the one thing that I got out of that is uh, your mom wanted you to prove your worth by pushing you on commission only uh, to before you got into as a partner. So uh, yeah. she's hedging her bets a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she did know your work ethic prior. Uh, she that's she right. might have had some influence on that. But uh, no, I, I I appreciate the the background on that. You know, one thing that I wanted to kind of focus on today was uh, you had a blog post recently come out and the topic or the subject was why your customers and your employees are your best source of innovation. So, so what's the answer? Well, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons behind that title, but fundamentally it's, you know, there's this, if you think, uh, let's talk about Apple for a second. You had mm -hmm. Steve Wozniak, who is this amazing inventor. Um, brilliant products, all that. But without Steve Jobs taking that to market and finding the need and doing all those actions that are so important, that never would have made it off the ground. So innovation is great, right? It's a buzzword that's talked about. But if you're not innovating in a way that closely aligns to the needs of your customers, you'll never be able to build a business model around it. And secondly, if it's not something that your employees are willing to own, because driving change is hard, implementing innovations is hard. If you don't have employees who are bought into it, who feel that level of ownership, it, you will never achieve that innovation that you're setting out to achieve. So why are they the best source of it? Uh, two, two primary reasons. One, I think one of the biggest challenges we help leaders solve is that as an organizations grow, leaders move further and further away from the day-to-day reality on the ground. Yep. Um, you know, there's been some management philosophies like management by walking around is a model, right? Where it's trying to pull the managers back onto the floor, back into the environment to actually see what's going on. Um, that just gets harder and harder, especially in a digital age where some interactions never happen in person, right? It might be on a website or something. How, how then can you make the most informed decisions? Well, it's by creating those communication channels with your customers and employees. So one, it brings you closer to the reality of the situation. Two, these are, these are issues, as a leader, by the time you hear about an issue, it's an issue that's been dealt with 20 times already, right? And most times employees, you know, when, when, you're, when you've done a job and you run into it, you don't stop everything and then go sit and brainstorm and try to figure, you build a workaround you find a solution to keep the thing, keep the business going. And I think that's, that's the untapped source of innovation. I think organizations look past so often. It's like, you know, before we try to, you know, bring a consultancy in or, you know, engineer this with some high performing team, why don't we go talk to our folks and see what they think? Because again, it builds that ownership mentality, right? They're gonna say, hey, they took my idea, they listened to me, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. And it helps you, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of shortcut the innovation process because you know what? They've been innovating every day anyway, and all they need is the leadership support and resources to help help them take off. Yeah, and, and maybe even if they you ask for their input and you don't necessarily use their uh, input, at least they, they feel heard, which is important. Um, but if you can continue to ask for those customers or for those employees to, um, for feedback, Hey, what do you see that I don't see? And there's going to be little, little nuggets in there that make a big difference. So, uh, yeah, that's, Absolutely. that's great. What's, you know, 
when it comes to the advice to the listeners uh, and somebody's thinking, hey, that sounds really interesting, but how do I get started? Uh, what advice do you have for them? Well, you know, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very early on, I remember seeing his Golden Circles video, um, and it just really struck me that anything, it doesn't matter, it could be CX, it could be, you know, a workout regime, you know, diet, what, it could be anything. If you don't start with why, whether it's a personal why, why you want to embark on this, you know, I was talking about, you know, for our business, it's proving the human experience drives growth. Or if you have that and you're in a CX role, why are people doing business with your organization? And I'm not saying go out there and just start doing a bunch of surveys, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that is a tool at your disposal. Um, have there, nothing can replace that human connection, that personal connection that you have. So whether it's talking to leadership, talking to customers, talking to employees, have an answer for why your organization exists, why it has value. Um, and that will be your guiding star as on the rest of your journey. That'll help you avoid some of the rabbit holes around technology, for example, you know, the shiny new thing with technology. Oh, maybe we need that. Well, you'll have a why, a purpose to be able to hold that up against, or maybe you're trying to decide what, what, what do you want to measure in your customer experience? Well, the why sure. informs that the people on your team, the, type of innovations you go after if you can establish that not only will it be valuable to you it'll be valuable to the organization because you know organizations tend to think they know but there always is a gap so that's to me where so much of so much of these processes kind of skip is they just jump right to well let's do a survey or they just jump to let's do journey mapping or let's implement this new technology or you know sure. what yep. you know you want to make an impact you want to you mm -hmm. want to show up and show them what you can do if you just take the time to do that i think it will you know just grease the wheels on on everything going forward there was a guy that i met about uh, maybe 10 or 12 years ago and he ran um, the floor um, at FedEx where all the cars, where all the trucks would come in and the boxes and they'd have to disperse them. And um, there was a spot where he could walk around the top and you could only see his from the shins or maybe from the top of the boots on down. Uh, mm -hmm. So they, the, the employees kept looking up to make sure that he was there. It was almost the, the, the carrot and the stick. He was the stick, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what he did was he would get there early in the morning and he would take his boots and place it right where uh, he normally stood and then would go back to his office. And at the end of the day, he would swing by and grab his boots again. Uh, I don't think that is the best uh, uh, way uh, of leading the organization and trying to find ways to uh, be innovative for your employees. That's not what you're saying, correct? <laughs> right. right. Yeah, it's, there's, there's, that's always going to be the other side of this is – as you learn more about some of these things, there's an opportunity to gain things, right? So as you gain more insights into your customers, I mean, this is the whole behavioral sciences conversation, right? Once you know those buttons to press, levers to pull, you know, you can get those behaviors that you want. And that's really not the mindset, right? You don't want to push people 
to get to where you want to go. You don't want to have to have a pair of boots looking over all your people, right? You've already kind of failed in some ways if that's your management philosophy. And that's why, you know, I think it reinforces that idea. If you stay aligned to that why, people will come to it, right? They will lift themselves up to, to help achieve that because that's that, you know, the thing about organizations, whether you're a customer, employee, or the business, I mean, you all have skin in the game. Right. You all have something to win or something to lose. And if you can leverage that in, in a positive way, um, that's a motivating factor that you, you can avoid that gamification that happens when people are trying to pencil whip numbers to make sure they're looking good or what, what have you. Because um, that just, you know, that's a slippery slope. Sure. Uh, the one thing that stood out to me in your article is let your employees uh, get creative. How do you allow and create that um, flexibility to um, have your employees get creative? What maybe what's some advice that you would give? Well, you know, this this starts with the idea that you can't have great CX without great EX. Can't have great customer experience without great employee experiences. So when we talk about letting employees get creative, there's some deep psychology underneath this idea. So there's a guy named Daniel Pink. Uh, he wrote a book called Drive, uh, and he talked about three, three things, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And I really loved the example he used for mastery. Uh, he used a few different examples, but the one I liked was Linux. So if you can imagine, I think he used the example around talking to an economics teacher, telling him that if you can imagine a bunch of highly skilled, high-value laborers contributing almost a full works week, of hours to something, doing it for free and then giving it away, wouldn't that be a great idea? And any business person would say, no, that's absurd. That would never work. <laughs> well, Linux is that platform, right? Totally open source, totally provided on volunteer hours, and some of the biggest ser- business servers in the world are run on it. And people gain satisfaction, gain engagement and motivation out of doing things that allow them to improve themselves to gain mastery over something and even have some autonomy in that, some self-direction in that conversation. And so that's, that's what's behind this idea of, of letting your employees get creative, let them grow into themselves and be the best version of themselves in an environment that benefits both you and the business. Now, how do you do that? Fundamentally it's communication. Um, You know, some people go as far, you know, you got the Facebook's, you know, go fast and break things, right? That it's, hey, you know, you ask for forgiveness, you know, before you ask for permission. Um, and that's, that's some approaches. I, I think that's been shown to have some downsides to it. Um, but creating space in the week or compensating folks for going above and beyond in maybe their own time in ways that contribute to the business. That's workshops, that's getting them into associations, professional associations, um, that's just, you know, having one-on-one meetings occasionally, being transparent in the organization. You know, oftentimes leadership tends to hold, hold guard over the numbers, right? And people don't really know. I mean, being transparent, being honest about the issues the businesses are, are facing and, and giving employees a space to react to that 
it kind of goes back to that whole idea of why are they the best sort of in, source of innovation. Um, but they just need a space and, you know, it's so culturally different, you know, software companies are very culturally different than say, let's say a logistics company on how that might be implemented. But at the foundation of both of those is communication and giving them space within their work work to be better at something, to create mastery. Right. That makes sense. Um, the last question on this blog post is how do you listen to your customers? Well, there's a lot of different, I mean, in today's world, <clears throat> it's omni-channel. So that's, if you had a, a gold standard answer to that question, it's every way they want to talk to you. And, you know, that's structured and unstructured. That's, you know, measurable and not measurable. Um, you know, we, we know of clients who use search tools on emails to gain insights into customer trends and issues and so forth, right? And that's a very passive approach, right? You're not doing surveys, you're just analyzing text that's sent in a bunch of conversations. Right. So I think there's a few answers to that question. One, can never replace the human connection. Having face-to-face -face meetings with your customers, you cannot beat that, whether they're QBRs or what have you, will always be the most powerful way. But in terms of kind of scaling a listening program, um, you always want to start with a benchmark so the way we approach it, if we're starting with a blank slate and somebody says, hey, we wanna, we wanna create a customer listening program, how do we go about that? Um, first of all, start with why. We, we tend to go to some of their key clients and begin to understand what's important to them and so forth. But we usually start bigger and broader to create a benchmark across a few, a few key factors, whether it's communication responsiveness is really important to us. You know, how do we listen to that? It could be survey metrics, it could be operational metrics. Um, but a true listening program is characterized by this idea of closed loop feedback. So however it is, whether it's surveys, phone calls, emails, text messages, you know, chat, social media, I mean, you know, the list is probably will continue to grow. Um, you have to close the loop with customers. So when we think about how do you do, how do you listen to your customers? You listen to them by being able to effectively hear them. And surveys are great for that because it's very structured. It's very focused around key things that you've already identified to your customers so that you can respond directly to those. That's really, I think the beauty of surveys is it focuses it so you're responding directly to their most important feedback, which may be harder uh, in some cases when you're not doing that but being able to respond and then, you know, in a survey environment is closing loop, but then in non-survey environments, Nick, I think you made the comment earlier, you know, showing customers that they're listened to. I mean, think of social media, somebody makes a post. I mean, how many reviews have you seen? Maybe frustrated reviews where the company just said, you know, we're sorry, we hear you, we can't do anything about it, but we're very sorry you had that experience. That is always going to be the defining characteristic of, any successful listening program, uh, you know, I think Jack Welch had the quote, uh, one of my favorite quotes, there's only two sources of competitive advantage, your ability to listen, to learn more about your customers faster than the competition and your ability to turn that information into action faster than the competition. So when we talk about listening to your customers is how can you get that information as quickly as you can and then drive action with that on the back end? by closing the loop. 
That's a great quote. I'm gonna might have to borrow that one for life. Well, I uh, did too. So feel free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I asked two questions to everybody on the podcast. The first question is here: Is this uh, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, the book. It really hasn't been the past year, so I'm gonna kind of cheat on your question, but one of the <laughs> books that's influenced me the most as it relates to this CX conversation is the book titled The Experience Economy. And because it gave me, uh, being you know, that economic background, it gave me a way to help communicate what that macro trend of experience is. It gave me terminology. It gave me an understanding of what is driving value and what is the value that's created from experiences that's helped me bring my clients along and even folks who aren't my clients because I do a lot of speaking and, and engagement around that web WebEx is learn how to get their hands around this. You know, so of all the books, you know, you mentioned where do you start? Um, of all the books, you know, anybody entering this field or who's been in it forever who hasn't read this, I'd say that's a great book to start. It's a little more old school, you know, believe it or not, this concept was around in the 90s and customer <laughs> wow. surveys have been around since the 70s. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a new idea, but, you know, companies like Disney and so forth had these concepts and have been using these concepts for decades. Uh, it's just, it's, it started to really catch on in a lot of other industries. Um, and I promise you, I, your mind, you, how you view CX will be altered after reading that book. That's awesome. I've, I've read the book and, and it's a, a great one too. I, I recommend it. Um, the last question I have for you is if you could leave a note to all the customer service and or customer experience professionals, what would it say? You know, it would start out with gratitude for who they are and what they do because the world of customer service and customer experience is not easy. We all know how challenging how, how wonderful customers can be and how challenging they can be. So first I'd sort of start with gratitude because my follow-up would be that, you know, to me, the most important thing at the end of the day, whether you're a business, an individual, a team, is that behind all of this business talk, right? Whether it's metrics, whether it's financial performance, what have you, operational efficiency, mm -hmm. we're talking about people. Right? We're talking about a human being who is just like you and me, who has bad days and who has good days. And, you know, sometimes it can be very hard. I've, I've, been, on the, I've been a recipient of negative customer feedback. I've had customers who, you know, rightfully so, I messed up and they told me so. And they did it with respect. It wasn't one of those heated <laughs> exchanges. But regardless, it shook me. I remember yeah. the first time it happened early on in my career. I mean, my hands were shaking after I got off the phone. And I mm -hmm. think oftentimes in this world of customer experience, we bear the brunt of this feedback, right? We get so much of it and so regularly and people have no restraint oftentimes with how they give feedback, right? They'll just let it rip. And that can really hit us to our core. And so it's, you know, after 10 years in this, you know, there's been moments where you start to feel a bit jaded right? Like, well, whatever, that customer is just one of those customers. <laughs> she's just one of those customers. 
So if, if we don't forget that, you know, we're all people, we're, we're all not imperfect. Um, hopefully that'll help you get through some of the, the challenges and trials of, of being in this industry because it's fast moving, it's changing, and the expectations are always, always ratcheting up. Uh, and that's a tough place to be. So, you know, remember to just bring it back down to reality, you know, and remember we're all people and, you know, I think we're all good at heart. Yeah, no, that's great. I, at the end of the day, people are doing business with people. It's sometimes it's tough to, to think of that uh, when you're, when you're not um, focused on it, but mm -hmm. you know, Jonathan, I, I appreciate your time today. Uh, where can the audience uh, connect with you online? Sure. Well, you can always go to www.pathpathgrowth.com. Uh, that's our website. It has some of the blog posts Nick mentioned. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jonathan McKay on LinkedIn. Um, and not too long after this podcast comes out, you'll be seeing my very own podcast, The Path to CX with Jonathan McKay, soon after. So feel free to tune into that to, to get some more nuggets as we go forward. Nice. Appreciate your time, Jonathan, and uh, look forward to catching up with you um, outside of the podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Nick. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm Nick Limsdahl, and until next time, focus on the customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.